Hello and welcome back to There Was an Idea, a Marvel Cinematic Universe podcast. I'm your host, TK, a high school teacher and pop culture enthusiast. In this episode, it's not that kind of show. I am joined by my close friend and longtime friend of the podcast, return guest CH, in a discussion about WandaVision Episode 8, previously on. If you're enjoying the podcast, you can follow me for updates and behind-the-scenes extras at anidea underscore podcast on Instagram and Twitter. Enjoy the episode. Hey everybody, before we get into the main part of the episode with my guest this week, I just wanted to include a note here up top with some corrections or I, I guess things that I just wanted to clarify or comment on before you hear the main episode. So first, there is <laughs> there's a moment in this episode in which I mess up quoting the instantly iconic line from this episode, and it is corrected by my guest in that moment. However, I just wanted to give fair warning about that so that you're not cursing out your podcast player when you hear that moment. In this episode, I also reference a couple of Twitter posts I made in which I called WandaVision a love letter to TV. And then after that, I was reading some articles and it turns out that the actual showrunner, Jack Schaefer, referred to WandaVision as a love letter to TV. And I just wanted to, while I didn't intentionally take that line from her, I imagine that I was probably subconsciously inspired by that if I had read that. And and certainly that's an, not an original idea. So I just wanted to share that up front as well, lest anybody think that I'm trying to pass off words that aren't my own as my own. And I also want to thank Trey from MCU Need to Know for also inspiring some of the language that I used in this episode about uh, some of the backstory for Wanda and Pietro having been told to us as viewers, but not yet shown. I was listening to a recent episode of MCU Need to Know, and Trey was using that language as well. So I think that also had uh, snuck its way into my brain. My guest and I during this episode also speculate about when the DVD for Malcolm in the Middle Season 1 would have been released, and I did look it up after we recorded. The DVD came out in 2002. And the last thing I'll share is that CH and I have been texting nonstop since we did our recording and have since kind of collaboratively developed a theory related to WandaVision that we're calling the Dottie Theory. And I'm not going to get into it right now. We didn't get into it on the podcast, but I'm just putting this on the record at the moment in case something big happens with Dottie next week. And I can say that we had already been talking about it. So I'll leave it at that for now. As always, spoilers for WandaVision ahead. Thank you. Today, I am joined by a longtime friend of the podcast. Welcome back, CH. Thanks for joining me today. Yeah, thanks for having me again. Now, you shared at the time a very brief story of your relationship with the MCU back in episode 1.7 of the podcast, which was our discussion of Captain Marvel. And then you joined me again for episode 2.1, which was on the Avengers. 
I had handpicked those movies for you as your entryway into the MCU for for reasons we discussed in those episodes. But since that time, your relationship to the MCU seems to have changed or developed a bit. So why don't you give us an update on your recent journey with the MCU and how WandaVision has played into that? Yeah. So like you said, you had me you know, watch Captain Marvel and the Avengers as like an entry point to the MCU. And I I liked them, but neither of those movies made me be like, I got to watch all of these 46 very long movies. (laughs) Uh, Right, right. You're, I mean, you're doubling the amount, but okay. I I hear your point. (laughs) (laughs) Um, It's because they're all the length of two movies. So it's like there's 46 movies. But um, when WandaVision was coming out, you know, I, I heard the chatter about it here and there from you and some other people. And I think I asked you, like, should I watch this show? And you were like, yeah. And so I wound up starting to watch it with no clue as to who any of these people were or what was going on at all. But in like those first two episodes, I loved them. And I was like, I don't know what's going on here, but this is fun <laughs> and it's great. And I didn't know that also nobody else knew what was going on there. Right, so right. It was, it was a fun journey kind of figuring out was what was happening. And it was actually watching this show and the show was so well done. And I, even without any of the backstory, I could tell how layered and well-written and everything it was. And that is what made me want to go back and watch some MCU movies because I wanted the backstory on Vision, Vision on one <laughs> Vision. So I wound up going back and watching um, Age of Ultron and Infinity War and Captain America Civil War, which I still have like 20 minutes left of. You do? Yeah. Wow. Um, Yeah, Civil War is not my favorite, but... I'm thinking about the last 20 minutes. You've seen the parts relevant to wanda and vision and and to the callbacks that you get in this episode of yeah so so. for our purposes today i won't give you a hard time yeah i'll finish it at some point (laughs) and um yeah and i watched this movie specifically because i knew they had wanda and vision in them and um especially watching like infinity war i was like uh (laughs) that really explained a lot of the show so uh yeah so actually this this show kind of got me more into the mcu and as i was watching those other movies like especially when i started watching age of ultron because that was the first one i went back to i was like oh man i think i really like this yeah yeah it it, it'll get you Um, it it did yeah it did (laughs) it finally did and i and i don't think you're you're alone in finding wandavision to be kind of that final push into It's you know going a little bit deeper into the world as as opposed to just a couple movies here or there. Yeah, and for sure. And the other thing is that I um, I think I'm sure you know this about me. Like I don't like movies. Yes. In yes. general, I don't like the format of movies, but I love TV. Yes. And so you know, WandaVision being a TV show, like that was much more up my alley. When I watch, like when I'm watching these movies, like it takes me like three days to watch them. I can't. Yes. Watch them all at once. For me, like a TV format, it's just I like I love TV format. Yeah, that's consistent with what I know about you being like right an installment watcher. And yes. uh, even even the movies, I think I, I mentioned this when we talked about the first Avengers movie was that you could kind of separate that movie into a few different acts and the mm. first forty five minutes feels like a you know, an episode of, of TV. 
But yeah, I'm going to read an excerpt from a, a text exchange that we had on January 11th. <laughs> January 11th. <laughs> um, that was the Monday before WandaVision premiered. And I wrote to you, I wrote, you know how I keep posting about that Marvel show WandaVision? Emma Caulfield announced today that she's in it. And you wrote, that's exciting. What is the show? Should I watch it? <laughs> and my response at the time was, I kind of think you should. Wanda is a witch-type character, and Vision is the Marvel Universe answer to Anya in some ways in that he's not quite human and grappling with that. Both of these characters were introduced in a movie written by Whedon, the sequel to The Avengers 1 we talked about, and the show is, a- and the show is apparently taking on the format of sitcoms from different eras. So thinking back on that, I think that was the, the initial way I attempted to sell it to you. But then a few yeah. days later, you asked me if I changed my Disney Plus icon to Kermit. And (laughs) (laughs) the answer was yes, you had. And I said, you bet I did. The other thing I forgot to say about WandaVision is that Christoph Beck does the music. And you said, that makes me want to watch it more. You should have led with that. And then when you were finally watching it on January 21st, you wrote, I'm watching WandaVision. The pitch that everyone should have given to me is that Catherine Hahn is in it. So. Yeah, so it was just fun to kind of revisit that your, you know, your early journey and even thinking about the ways that I was con- like that the ways that I was thinking about the show before it had started and and how that's developed. So, I thought that would just be a fun walk down memory lane, uh, you know, appropriate to some of what we saw in this episode. So. Yeah, and you know, I was going to say you're I forgot that you said that thing about vision being like relation to Anya and in this episode in particular like really got that yeah that vibe of vision like trying to figure out how humans work yes exactly and I definitely want to talk a little bit more about that later too what what have you liked about WandaVision so far and and what maybe has been surprising to you about it I think what's what would surprise me was kind of what I already said that like the show is so well done and well written and so layered and even when I didn't know what was going on I got that and now that I do know these stories like it's it's so much deeper and I you know as someone who's like a tv watcher and the what I kind of my perception about the MCU which is probably a little unfair because I haven't like at the point I started watching show I hadn't seen most of the MCU and what my perception of those movies were is not what they actually are Mm -hmm. but I was surprised like how well this show this show stood up as a TV show as someone who watches like a lot of the prestige shows right but I loved um you know at the beginning I loved how silly the episodes were silly serious is my favorite just thing totally (laughs) my favorite genre is silly serious like Um, in uh I, I not to jump ahead too much, but I'm thinking about young Wanda's description of shenanigans in this episode and how she's yes. like, it's mostly silly, yeah. not scary, but maybe sometimes a little scary. Right. <laughs> yeah. But it's always fine at the end. Yeah, exactly. I love yeah. shenanigans. Um, but and even like, like I would say we always talk about Buffy and Buffy is the perfect silly, serious show. Totally. So I love that. And I love I love that the show is week to week because it's been so long that I've had a show like this that is week to week it's not all streamed at once and that has something to talk about every week yeah um, it it really brings me back to lost mm-hmm. how like the show aired every week and every week i'd be like talking to like everyone i know and like on the internet and, like what's going on like what's gonna happen 
Um, and I, I don't feel like I've had that at all since 2010. <laughs> yeah. Uh, which I think is when Lost ended. So I, I really appreciated that and loved that. I, I also love the the homage to TV that they've done. Um, I just think that it was so perfect. Yeah, every week being like, what shows are they going to do? And being like, oh my God, it's the Brady Bunch. Yeah. Oh, oh my God, it's the Wonder Years. You know, I just think that's so fun. This like I think this in particular relates a lot to this episode, but TV I think is very special in our culture and to a lot of people in that it's um before like streaming was a thing, it was like you know movies were something you saw you let to go to a theater and you sit with like a room full of people you don't know and you watch movies, but TV is inside your home mm. in your living room and you're with your family, and so TV is just like a a very intimate medium i think for that reason and i think the way this show has paid tribute to television and what we learned in this episode fits so nicely in with that concept of tv as like something intimate that comes into your home yeah thank you for for saying that i i've been i'm gonna talk more about this in a little bit but i i have a lot of feelings about this episode and the way it's commenting on tv and i i hadn't mm-hmm fully considered it in that way about that intimacy of being within the home and and the role that that's playing in this show, the ways in which they're intentionally reflecting that. And I think that's really, um, that's really powerful. On on that note, do you have a favorite episode so far or is it more about the bigger picture for you? It's hard to say, you know, I think before this episode, I would say uh, my favorite might be the Halloween episode or last week's maybe. But this, I mean, it's hard. So when you when you add in this this last episode that we're talking about now, it's like hard to compare. It's yeah. very different from the rest of the season. No, I would you know I would say probably five or six or seven. Yeah, yeah. No, and I'm with you too. It's 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 a fun <laughs> mental exercise to to try to play the the favorites, but at the same time, they all just kind of like the movies in the larger MCU. The episodes here are are playing a distinct role, and you know right. I, I have to say at this point that. This one, episode eight, is my favorite for for reasons that transcend this show and transcend MCU and are personal in some ways and are just like so much deeper than anything. So that brings us to the most recent episode, episode eight, previously on. Broad thoughts on the episode overall. Overall, I mean, it was just, it was very powerful i mean the the writing and the acting and the directing in this episode are all like so spot on so powerful i love this is something that shows do sometimes and it often is like a very important powerful episode like this where it's like a micro episode i mean it's basically just wanda and agnes Mm -hmm. or agatha whatever we're calling her now right um and you know it's no there's no there's no like real plot moving forward. There's no, you know, there's not like much happening. It's a it's a retrospective episode and it's only these two characters and it, it's just so well done. Yeah, you know. it's more about the the interest the reflection and the introspection and yeah. the outside world hasn't necessarily changed from the beginning of the episode to the end, right? Right. I mean in, in the outside world it, it feels like ten minutes have elapsed. Right. The only thing that happens in the outside world is something with the kids. Right. And we don't, and and if the other things are happening simultaneously, like say, for example, with Monica Rambeau and Pietro, what we saw at the end of the uh, right. the mid-credit scene last week, we don't know what that thing is yet. 
Right. And I think that this was perfectly timed. I said last week when I spoke with Pat that I thought last week's episode, uh, the 2010s cynical humor style episode was perfect for where Wanda was at last week. I think this is perfect for where she's at this week and where she needs to go. Right. And I think that she, without Agatha, she might not have gotten to where she was. Agatha in this episode was like, I just kept thinking of her as like a really mean therapist. (laughs) (laughs) Yes. A really mean ghost of Christmas past. (laughs) Yes. I I'm with you. I I want to explore that a little bit more. Agatha's role here as, as the the mentor, right. As the mean (laughs) therapist and a little bit more about, about her that I want to dig into later. But in terms of this episode overall, I, I went to Twitter earlier today and I, I wrote this and I'll just read it here as well. I wrote episode eight of WandaVision is a perfect companion piece to episode one. When the show first premiered, I called it a love letter to TV. And I think that rings even more true now. It is a love letter, a thank you letter to television and the way it helps us process our pain. Showrunner Jack Schaefer, writer Laura Donnie, actress Elizabeth Olsen, and the rest of the WandaVision team have created something exceptional that will resonate with fans of the genre for years to come. And that was kind of, I was feeling emotional about it. I I feel very attached to this episode. And I think you're speaking to it as well, that lovers of TV, fans of this thing, it makes sense that this episode is resonating so hard. And then on on more of the level of, of being a fan of the MCU, this show also is satisfying in that, that this episode is also satisfying in that it revisits some of what we know has happened but it's things that we have been told but not shown before and that was really satisfying as well to think about to think about a movie like age of ultron which came out in 2015 and the ways in which in that movie characters like wanda and vision were important to the story but they were also being balanced with a bunch of other main characters who had more of a spotlight in that story. And to think that we got these little details, specifically in Ultron for Wanda's backstory, who would have thought that six years later on a TV show that we would be seeing that play out, that moment when in which her parents died. So it was just really satisfying in that way to get the callbacks to Civil War and Infinity War in some of the dialogue and imagery. And uh, so as as a TV fan, incredibly powerful. As an MCU fan, incredibly satisfying. And just as you said before as well, just masterfully written and directed. Rich, actually, friend of the podcast, Rich, texted me and just wrote, well, that was an epic piece of storytelling. And we'll talk about this a little bit more later too, but I, I, to me, this is the most powerful depiction of grief and loss and dealing with it that that we've ever seen in the MCU. And personally, perhaps the one that resonates most with me just in general. And I say that because of the role TV plays in it. Yeah, I think in terms of like TV about grief and loss, the best other example I've always had is The Body yes. from Buffy which um interestingly aired exactly 20 years ago yesterday so two episodes aired one year and one day and 20 years apart um that shook me that shook me right there so and it it, like it's it's so rare that you get something that captures those emotions so realistically and perfectly and like this is just like such a 
perfect. Like it, it will live as one of the perfect examples of depiction of grief. Yeah. If this doesn't get nominated or win any Emmys, like that's it's like a joke. I, I can't imagine that at the very least that Elizabeth Olsen wouldn't be nominated for her performance in this show. She was amazing. Yeah. I mean, the, like if the writing for this episode doesn't get nominated. The writing, right. Truly, truly impeccable. So as we've progressed throughout the show, I've been reflecting with guests on the answers and explanations to earlier questions that we're getting week to week. So for episode eight, were there any big kind of aha moments or answers or explanations that stuck out to you? Yeah, I mean, I think the most obvious one is the origin of the whole sitcom thing. And I don't know, I don't know if anyone could have predicted like the the answer to that would be like heartbreaking. <laughs> I hope I honestly this is going to sound fun to say but I hoped it was. So I last week, you know, I I yeah, well, I I had brought up last week that, you know, we still kind of had this question mark about whose language that was, right? Who who's mm. who is is communicating in the language of TV sitcom? Is this coming from Wanda or is it coming from Agatha? When we learn at the end of last week it was Agatha all along and we get the song. And I remember you said that it seemed like why would Agatha communicate in a showboaty song like that if that wasn't her thing? Mm-hmm. And I got nervous about that for a moment because I really wanted it to be coming from Wanda. And mm-hmm. maybe just, again, because of how I've I've been um, relating it to like my own feelings about television or media more broadly, I this is what I wanted it to be, to be honest with you. Mm-hmm. Like I wanted it to be something like, okay, she's actively using it as a form of escape or, or perhaps not even actively. We know it's subconsciously, but she's subconsciously using it as a form of escape. This is what I have, I have wanted it to be. So I was very, very um, pleased, but like, like very, very emotional to see that play out. For sure. And I mean, like, you know, when the, that first, you know, ghost of Christmas past thing they do, where they walk into the apartment in Sokovia. And I think like you, if you know, Wanda's backstory, you immediately know what's about to happen. Yes. And then you see her dad open that briefcase and just like everything is answered in that moment. And it's just like, oh, no. <laughs> That's the moment that I, I like started to choke up. And when and then when you saw little Wanda, like the younger actress play mm-hmm. her, that's when I, I really fully started crying the, the first time that I saw it. Because like you said, you know what is going to happen. And even still, it was still sort of sudden, uh, the way that they filmed the explosion as they're Mm -hmm. watching the TV. But you just, you know, it it was so well done and so sad. It was both. Yeah. So some other things I I wrote down for questions that were answered are, um, I mean, obviously how this whole thing happened. Like a lot of questions were answered in this episode. How this whole thing happened. Who is Vision? You know, was Hayward lying about wanted to steal Vision's body. Yes, he was. Mm-hmm. Um, very much so. Um, you know, we learn more about what Agatha's deal is and why she showed up, though I think there's still some questions surrounding Agatha. You know, we get some information about Pietro or Pietro. <laughs> yeah, Again, I liked that. Not, yeah, I like that too. Not all. Um, yeah, it's a lot of the, like, what is going on questions in the show were answered, but certainly there's a lot still to be discovered. Yeah, absolutely. And I think that with Agatha, we we clearly hear what she's capable of 
what some of the actions she has taken that she was controlling Fietro. And we learn her goal. I, I think it's pretty clear her goal is to find out how Wanda did this. Mm-hmm. And it seems that that's connected to a larger goal of probably wanting Wanda's power, being envious of it in mm-hmm. some way, wanting to get that power herself, whatever it may be. But we don't really know her motivation. Like we can know her goal without really knowing her motivation or exactly. We learn that she sensed Westview and had all of these questions about it and then came there. But we don't really learn why that was important to her at this point beyond just, well, she's a powerful witch. And then it seems like there was a more powerful witch. So she was like, what's going on over here? Yeah. And it was interesting. So that was like one of my biggest questions coming out of this or what Agatha's motivations are. And it's like, Agatha is obsessed with Wanda. Yes. At this point, like, is truly obsessed. And it's kind of, I think we kind of find out why, but not really, I don't think. You, you know, it's like, I, I almost wonder, like, has she been trying to become the Scarlet Witch mm. for 300 years? Well, it's interesting that you mention that because in that first opening scene, when we see her in, in Salem in 1693, the other witch's power is mm. blue. Yeah. And her power is purple. And as we know, purple gets you a little closer to red. So, like, I did have that question of, like, is the fact that her power is purple, um, is that just indicating to us that it's because she's a user of dark magic? Or is that indicating to us that perhaps she's, like, closer along the powerful scale to that scarlet because it's a mixture of the two Mm. colors? Yeah. I actually, so I noticed that too. And one thing, if, I don't know if you saw this. It's like very brief when she's tied to that stake and the witches are all sending their blue magic at her. There's a shot of her neck where her neck is actually glowing red. Yes. Yeah. And um, which I, you know, I almost thought like the, so the red magic, the Scarlet Witch magic, she says at the end is chaos magic. And I almost interpreted the blue magic as like, you know, like kind of like very formally educated Mm. magic, you know, like Agatha knows spells and she knows the runes that she pointed out to Wanda. She says to Wanda, like, how do you not know the fundamentals? Yeah. Like, how can you do all this when you have no training or education? And I kind of, you know, saw the purple as like the combination of like that chaos magic that she clearly was interested in and the, the blue formally educated magic. Cool. Yeah. Purple and because blue and red make purple. It also relates to a conversation. I know you haven't seen the the movie Doctor Strange, but there's a bit of a conversation in that movie around use of magic and responsible use of magic and the difference Mm -hmm. between studying and learning and earning knowledge in that way, Mm -hmm. in more of an academic sense versus um, perhaps just being kind of a a natural user of something. So, yeah, yeah, so an, an interesting larger thematic question and Definitely. And isn't that something Agatha's mom said to her that she like didn't earn the magic she was doing? It was was above her age and station. Above her station, right. Right. That idea that there are these set rules. Yeah. I'm also taking as pretty much an answered question in this episode that the reason why she would have killed the dog is less mustache twirling villain 
you know, going to mm-hmm. perform the act that is the acts that we think are of being most villainous would be going after dogs and children, right? Right. right. So it seems to me that she probably did that. And I'm not trying to call her not a villain. And I'm not trying to justify this, but I believe that, you know, she would have done that as a test of Wanda's power, because like you said, she's fixated on figuring out who Wanda is, what she is capable of. So I take that as a test of she did that to see if Wanda could bring him back to life. Yeah, that that is a great point. That makes sense. I, I think, you know, maybe a lot of the things she was doing was trying to like push Wanda to use deeper magic so she could see it. Totally. And um, yeah, so there questions remain about Agatha. As we were saying, it's hard to call her Agatha and not Agnes, to be honest. But I keep like accidentally switching back and forth. Um, (laughs) They're essentially the same name. (laughs) Yes. (laughs) And that's why many viewers of the show did think that Agnes was going to be connected to Agatha Harkness, the character in the comics, who, even though it like, even if you were a comics fan and knew that that character existed and and started to put together that perhaps it was meant to be the same character, uh, the MCU plays around a lot with how true to the comics they are. And the comics are also like long running stories in which people like Agatha Harkness have multiple roles. As far as I understand, I haven't read them, but that there are maybe issues or story arcs where she is nefarious and then others in which she takes on more of that mentor kindly older witch um character to wanda so that did when you know especially when you said mean therapist um (laughs) it it does get me thinking if you know perhaps right now the show is suggesting that agatha is the big bad but perhaps Mm -hmm. and and certainly she has taken some actions that are not justifiable but perhaps there's also going to be something more complex than just you know your your cut and dry hero villain thing going on here and as you said maybe her reasons for it aren't the aren't the best but she is kind of pushing wanda through some work that is necessary for wanda right now for sure yeah um yeah it's it it is really interesting because you know, if she was Wanda's therapist, apart from how mean she is to her, like she'd be doing a good job. One other thing about Agatha that I was thinking about was, you know, her her song Agatha All Along. Uh, what a bop, right? It's just it's such a bop. I, you know, it's been stuck <laughs> in my head for a week. Yes. Um, I also loved that Catherine Hahn sang it. Again, a, a once another expression of my love for Catherine Hahn right here. <laughs> It's it's so funny because they, they left the end of that episode like well like wait what was Agatha all along did she make this whole bubble did she just and it's you know at the end of this episode I'm like what was Agatha all along she's <laughs> like she like caused some little mischief and killed a dog but like feels like she was taking a lot more credit than she actually deserved <laughs> by saying it was Agatha all along that is it was a good still point. mostly Wanda. Right. Unintentionally so, we learn here. Right. But the creation of the Westview anomaly was Wanda. It was not yeah. Agatha all along. Right. <laughs> so, like the little mishaps were Agatha. Yes. And like that control yeah. of Herb and Pietro at key moments. But mm. you're right. It was certainly not all Agatha. <laughs> it was a great song, but so I think good. she's just a little, just taking a little more credit than she's doing. 
<laughs> that seems on brand for the character. That's true, it does. Anything else that you would like to see answered as we move into the finale next week? Any big question marks? I One of the bigger question marks I have that I don't know if it'll be answered, I don't think it will be answered in the finale, but that I think is interesting is that this concept that Agatha brings up that Wanda had like some predisposition to magic somehow before the experiments yes. that she went through. So I just think that that's a really interesting thing that they could talk about and like, where did that come from? And on the same side, like did Pietro have some predisposition to being super fast? You know, I tried to be like, did he like run to her after the bomb really fast? No, not really. But like, I just thought that was really interesting. And it did, you know, after that scene where the bomb exploded, it, I watched it again and it felt like Wanda almost like stopped time as it went off the whole place blew up and there was a solid like 30 seconds to a minute where she was kind of just like sitting there like floating and then and then Pedro comes running up Wanda Wanda come on and you would think that that would happen very quickly I'm really glad that you brought that up and I I meant to mention that when we were talking about some explanations that we got in this in this episode as you said still more questions related to it but as a as a longer time MCU fan there has always been this discussion about Wanda and Pietro in Age of Ultron and how, at the time, Marvel didn't own the rights to the X-Men characters, Scarlet Witch and Quicksilver. In the comics, they are X-Men. They are mutants. So Mm. they did have that naturally in them. In the MCU, it seemed like Mm. the explanation for why, to quote Maria Hill and Ultron, he's fast and she's weird. The explanation was (laughs) that they had been experimented on with the Mind Stone. So I love that they kind of circled back to this story. I love the way that the MCU tells non-linear stories as you go through these different movies and now shows. Some people might see that as, in more of a dismissive way, a retcon. I I Hmm. don't. I think that you have to take into the consideration that, yes, licenses to different characters change. And once they had a license to certain characters, I don't blame them for reworking elements of the story if they think it's going to fit in best. So I do mm-hmm. like that this addresses that she had some latent powers there. At least Agatha th- seems to think so. And mm-hmm. what does she say? I think she says they were amplified by the Infinity Stone. So yeah. I don't know if that means that he... that the that she and Pietro were mutants in the way that we think of in X-Men world. But I do really like that suggestion. And I'm, I'm curious to see where that goes. Yeah, me too. Um, and then one of the other things that I would love to see answered maybe next week is the, the vision that Wanda essentially created. What is he? Who is he? Like, what is it? <laughs> <laughs> what is it? You know, What is it? And it's so interesting because in the scene where, you know, the Scooby gang like breaks into Hayward's (laughs) computer and stuff, you know, they find that he's tracking vibranium as a way of tracking vision, which means that she literally created this new vision out of the same out of vibranium, out of the same thing that the other one was made from. Yes. And that was the thing first on my first viewing. I didn't fully catch. Well, it took me the next viewing to realize Oh, shoot. The fact that he was tracking vibranium is not like a question mark of like, huh, well, didn't he he had to have known that that wasn't the real vision because he had vision's body that that meant no, 
he actually is made of vibranium seems to suggest that those children are actually made of human flesh human. and blood. Right. <laughs> yeah. They are made of human. <laughs> Her magic is so strong that she was able to spontaneously create. And, and, th right. and that's what Agatha is obviously telling her in this episode. But yeah. I think that's really interesting. And especially part of me feels like it'd be wilder. It's crazier that she was able to create vibranium as opposed to humans because Human. we know in the MCU just how rare vibranium is and how powerful it is. So right. to that it's question, $3 trillion of vibranium. Right. Right. And so to that question of, of what is vision, you know, the romantic part of me saw, you know, her um, impressive backbend with the red, <laughs> with the red power and, and his yellow, you know, coming out. So the yellow color yeah. is associated with the Mind Stone and is associated with vision. The Mind Stone mm -hmm. has always been the thing that tied the two of them together. And and I noted mm -hmm. in an earlier episode that Vision even says to her in episode five of the show, he says, you know, we're always of the same mind, right? Like reminding us mm. like, like they have this connection. So I'm thinking because of their connection through the Mind Stone, um, that, you know, that she had access to some of this essence that makes Vision mm -hmm. who he is, even if it's not his body that she was able to create. Um, although it seems like, like you said, she also replicated his body. Accurately. Yes. Which is what, like totally wild. Yes. And then the other, it's like, now there are two visions. What, what's going on there? And it's, you know, it's interesting. The vision she created has almost no memories of before the bubble. You know, it's going to be interesting when other vision comes back to life, what he knows and remembers. And it's just, I don't know what's going to happen. Double vision. Double vision. Oh, that was really good. That was just laying there. I'm glad you picked it up. I, I wrote it a lot of times. <laughs> Double vision. Yeah. Well, part of me almost feels like there's almost like three visions because like, so this vision within the hex doesn't have the memories of who he used to be because we now know that that's not who he used to be, that he was created in that moment. This vi vision has been born so many times and has died so many mm. times. Um, and then we have the all white robotic looking vision at the end in the mid credit scene which seems to be just the body going going back to what you were connecting with the buffy episode right this idea of the body versus mm. the person right um anyway so going back uh so so that seems to be just kind of the body of vision now repurposed into being this weapon and then where is the room for the vision that that you're mentioning of like being brought back to life like is that vision's soul or essence or mind or whatever we want to call it in the the white body? Right, or somewhere else. It's, I mean, it's basically a computer program, right? Yeah, exactly. Like, where is it? Right. <sighs> and could we just kind of upload those files into Hex Vision? Right. And can't, well, we saw Hex Vision can't really exist outside of the Hex because he was being torn apart when he tried to leave. Yeah. So, so it does... Like, what's going on there? Yeah, it does leave us with I'd... some some questions. I, I mean, frankly, concerns about what's going to happen next week because I, right. I I don't know how this ends happily. I don't either. Right, exactly. I, I don't know if it can. Um, and maybe that's the point. I also, I mean, I do hope there's an opportunity for Wanda to have a threesome with <laughs> Oh, my God. So for episodes one, two, three, 
five, six, and seven, my guests and I discussed the sitcom influences and TV tropes mm-hmm. that that WandaVision was paying homage to or emulated. And in this one, we've departed from that show within the show sitcom style, and instead it plays out structured very similarly to an MCU film, although right. shorter, as you've pointed out, they are on the long side. So what I mean by that is the the opening scene gives us a flashback that in this case Mm. is connected to the villain's origin. And we've seen that used before in the MCU. Then we move into the present day and then we end with that mid credits stinger. So so structurally Mm. in those basic elements where we're closer to an MCU film than to a sitcom. As you said, though, we're still taking inspiration from some of what we see in TV, as you mentioned before, more of um, what did you call it? More of like a retrospective episode or yeah a micro episode yeah i don't think it's a real term or something i made up yeah i know what bottle episode is 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 the term yeah. used when it takes place in one location and this is this is kind of that and then it kind all, of that yeah, yeah. it all takes place in, basement right although we're seeing so many like unique settings within that so it's a kind of a cool right. take on a bottle episode yeah right it's like the bottle instead of being like the setting it's more like the characters and like the yeah, lack of lack of plot. Right, that we're in this moment. Um, mm-hmm. And as we've mentioned already, even though this episode is not intentionally modeling itself after sitcoms of eras past, it is still very much reflecting on the genre of television. So a couple key moments that I just wanted to bring up: when young Wanda is with her brother under the bed in the traumatic moment after the explosion and they're looking at the Stark Industries bomb. The television is still playing Dick Van Dyke's show and she says by the end of the episode you realize it was all a bad dream. None of it was real. Kind of connecting to some of what we're seeing with this Mm -hmm. show. Another moment I thought was interesting is when teenage Wanda who is now volunteering for Hydra is in isolation and she's watching the Brady Bunch episode. Did you Mm -hmm. kind of take note of what was going on in the episode? Cindy was trying to put her her doll to sleep and her brother wanted to practice his kazoo. <laughs> yeah, somehow the way you said it just kind of made me laugh. Like I could, I'm thinking about the writers of the Brady Bunch being like, all right, in this one, the brother's trying to practice the kazoo. Um, <laughs> well, I was thinking about, you know, again, not on first watch, but after watching it a couple times, I wanted to pay more attention to what was going on to see how it may be connected. So she is talking about the doll and the brother is like, well, she doesn't have any feelings. She's made out of mm. sawdust or rags or something like that. And thinking about that in connection with the scene that we see later on at the sword headquarters with Vision's body, that idea about, well, this this body or this thing made of metal or this thing made of whatever doesn't have feelings. I thought that was kind of an interesting connection. That That is a really interesting connection. And again, is like that concept of the body like from Buffy the body I don't know what the kazoo is I I, I guess practices kazoo the annoying the annoying it's brother Hayward. trying to practice kazoo is Hayward who is just yeah. trying to make his sentient weapons or make money or whatever <laughs> it may be can a guy just make his sentient weapons <laughs> <laughs> just a quick mention of the visual in that same scene when memory Wanda turns the TV off the reflection of young Wanda and then you know current Wanda and Agatha in the box TV is a really cool visual Mm. I really liked it 
And then the other thing on this note that I wanted to mention was, so I have read that the that the first episode, I believe the first two episodes of WandaVision actually were filmed in front of a live studio audience. Mm-hmm. And the first episode of the show even has that as its title. And in the at the end of this episode, when current Wanda has just you know seen the memory of her creation of the hex and her and Vision on the couch turning their TV on, we see the studio lights come up and we see the set. It's no longer in black and white, but it's it's it looks like what the TV set for WandaVision would have been. And I actually mm-hmm. was curious about that. I know they're going to release a making of WandaVision special for Disney Plus, and I'm curious if we're going to see more about that cuz it really looked in that moment that we were seeing the set of the show itself and then um seeing where the studio audience would have sat and and Agatha giving her her bravo and her clapping. It really just it feels to me like it's coming full circle from episode 1. And seeing it in a different way now, and that just really, you know, delights me. Yeah, I thought that was really interesting. And I also had this thought that I was like, I mean, did did Wanda also, when Wanda created the Hex, like, did she create their home as a soundstage with an audience? Like, that's crazy. It's, yeah, it's either. And it's like, you know. Yeah. Vision's boss and and Kitty Foreman come over. It's either that or in the memory, because Agatha is the one whose magic is guiding these memories, maybe Agatha framed it that way for the memory. Right, maybe. I don't know, but I thought that was really interesting. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, that's a good question. So what were some of your thoughts on the role of television itself in this episode and for Wanda's character? I mean... You know, you can, it, it becomes like very clear that television and especially sitcoms for Wanda are a source of comfort, which I think a lot of people have that experience. Mm-hmm. Like you have a TV show or a few TV shows maybe that you keep going back to because it's like, you know, the characters on the shows become like your friends. And I think especially in the past year, I've a lot of I, I think I've seen maybe articles about this, or maybe this is just anecdotal from talking to people. A lot of people have been doing that over the past year because they've been stuck in their homes and they can't see their friends and family a lot. And you wind up watching some of your old favorite TV shows because it feels like those characters are your friends and they're, it's a source of comfort to you to have something familiar to go back to like that. Um, so I think, you know, obviously Wanda experiencing all of this pain and this grief and this trauma you know went to the thing that comforts her um it just so happens that she's like an extremely powerful witch so her version of that is a little different yeah than like you know are like you know watching a tv show and crying like it's slightly different but um yeah but yeah i mean clearly like that's that's her her source of comfort and uh, like a connection to her past and her family that she just wanted to to live inside and as we keep talking about it's it's so beautifully done here also Mm -hmm. to just uh bring back some of the silliness how great was that line that agatha said about um a baby witch obsessed with sitcoms with years of therapy out of her (laughs) exactly and i don't think she ever got the therapy until like agnes the main therapist came along i'm with you um (laughs) which she very clearly needed yeah 
desperately. The mean ghost of Christmas past who made fun of how loud her brother was talking. (laughs) You know, connecting to what you just said about Wanda's grief and pain and trauma and the way she's looking for comfort. This I mentioned earlier, I think, is the no contest, the the best depiction of what we've seen the MCU do in terms of dealing with trauma. We've gotten a lot of information that has been, again, told to us about characters going through things, but not necessarily always shown. So for example, Tony Stark's anxiety issues and struggles after the events of the Avengers movie in New York play out in Iron Man 3. And I do like that movie and I like how they attempt to address more of that internal struggle for him, but it didn't necessarily land for for most fans or, you know, it was, there's a lot you need to accomplish in a two, two and a half hour action comic book movie that oftentimes, you know, uh, you're not necessarily going on that internal journey with the character, especially in the MCU in the movies that are balancing numerous protagonists. I've always sung the praises of the MCU and how they do balance and how they expertly interweave stories and pay off your long-term investment in particular characters or storylines. It's just that you're not necessarily getting it all at once. So obviously, WandaVision is part of that interweaving with characters like Jimmy and Darcy and Monica Rambeau. But what we're also seeing with this show is what happens when you take the time and when you have the time in this installment style storytelling of TV to fully dig into one character's trauma, even as you may be developing interesting arcs for others later. So I think that that's what is unique about what we're seeing here in WandaVision compared with the rest of the MCU. And I also wanted to just share what the writer of this episode, Laura Donny, wrote on Twitter, because I think it connects to what we've been talking about. She wrote, I told my therapist once that my trauma defined me. She said, no, it shapes you. It was paramount to the writers of WandaVision to not just look at where Wanda has been, but to spend time with her there, to give space and voice to her grief, to her loss, to watch her take shape. Anything else that stuck out to you regarding some of these themes? Yeah, I mean, especially, I mean, obviously, like, very significant was the conversation between Wanda and Vision when they were watching Malcolm in the Middle, um, where, um, I think his name is Hal in the show, right? Yes. Um, he, he does something with their, like, awning or whatever, and the whole thing falls on him. And Vision said, is it funny because of the grievous injury the man just suffered? And Wanda says, no, he's not really injured. And Vision says, oh how can you be certain which also you know is does play into that um concept of vision like trying to like learn what humans are right about which is really great and um wanda says it's not that kind of show which you know is obviously like probably one of the most significant sentences of this show so far yes you know that wanda is looking and the fact that she she based this reality on sitcoms. You know, you see the Dick Van Dyke show, I Love Lucy, Malcolm in the Middle, you know, Modern Family, The Office. Like, these aren't shows where tragedies happen. Right. And she, you know, was trying to to make this escape for herself where that's not that kind of show. Right. Or if something tragic does you know? happen, it all 
it all was a bad dream or it all ends up okay at the end. Like the shenanigans, right? right? It all ends up okay. And so, you know, obviously that was amazing. Like just such a a wonderful reflection on grief and pain and trauma, you know, and Wanda's response to it, basically trying to make um, a reality for herself and for Vision. That's not that kind of show, you know, things are okay here. Oh, the other thing, I don't know if the shenanigan ending is um, like mischief, but a silly mischief that always becomes fine. Yeah. And honestly, you know, thinking about that scene at the Avengers compound a little bit more, that scene even kind of plays into this idea of balancing the serious and the silly, as you were saying, because we have this reflection on grief that is so powerful. This this is the other scene that um, that had me crying. Uh, You have Wanda articulating what her grief feels like the wave washing over her again and again, and it's going to drown me saying to vision that she's so tired. And and then him asking, it can't all be sorrow. Can it? And he Mm -hmm. explains that he has never experienced loss because he never had a loved one to lose and then gives the line, which is so powerful and feels like a, a follow-up line to when he says in age of Ultron, he says a thing isn't beautiful because it lasts. Mm-hmm. And here he says, what is grief if not persevering? And, you know, again, I just a, a beautiful line that I think resonates with a lot of viewers and certainly resonates with Wanda in that moment. And then they immediately laugh at something that's funny on the TV. And yeah. he, get, you know, he giggles. He's so cute. He's like in his little pajamas. His <laughs> like, pajamas are so cute. So cute. And he's They're so silly. It is. It is. And he's smiling at the TV and he's and he is learning. Like you said, he's learning what's funny and how you how to react to these things. And he and she just like, you know, smiles back at him and, and says, yeah, it was funny, wasn't it? And it was mm-hmm. just like such a touching, such a touching moment. Yeah. Isn't the line, what is grief if not love persevering? What did I say? It, what is grief if not persevering? God damn so it. So if you want to like say it again the right way and snip it back in there. I'm going to have to. Yeah. How did I fuck up on that? <laughs> <laughs> you know what? I, what's something I found interesting about the pain and grief thing is that, you know, when Wanda drives into Westview, it seems like most of the people there are, are probably not doing too well. Yes. Um, and I don't know, is that like, a, was the whole world like that after the blip? Because like half of everyone was gone. Yes, I know um, you haven't seen Endgame yet, but, oh, you yeah. did see the opening scenes of Endgame. Yeah, it had a very kind of similar yeah. somber tone. Yeah, so, you know, I kind of got this sense that it's like, pain that also everyone in Westview was experiencing is almost like what put Wanda over the edge. You know, like she had been through so much loss. She just tried to get Vision's body to get a funeral and couldn't even do that. In fact, she she just found them ripping him apart. Um, You know, goes to the plot of land that he got for them to grow old in. And she drives through this town that, that was supposed to be their home and Every it's very somber. People there are not seemingly doing so well, and I think that kind of she takes in all of that as well, and that kind of just puts her over the edge into creating a new reality. Yeah, I think that's safe to say that. Yeah, she we know she has telekinetic powers, so even right. if she wasn't trying, and we also telepathic. know yes, telepathic powers, and we know that even if she's not necessarily trying, she does magic and so i think it would make sense that she was 
picking up on others' feelings and that magnified what was going on for her and perhaps why, you know, she was easily able to absorb everyone else. Mm. And Agatha also makes a comment earlier when she's talking about mind control spells and she mentioned something about mm. how um, if you have, um, what did she say, a feeble mind or something like that? Yeah. It's easier. Yeah. Yeah, that was that was um, a payoff to see as well, to see some of the characters that we know as mm. being as being actors inside of Westview in their natural element and mm-hmm. sad. Yeah, and even some of the um, locations in the town yes. that we've seen, you know, like the town square where they, you know, it's this place, the place where Wanda and Pietro have the conversation about like how their parents would have liked it, how cute the town is. Right. And you see it like kind of you know, dilapidated and empty and sad. Right. You see that pool, you know, full of leaves with a broken fence. Yeah. And it is interesting to note that at this point, the blip has been undone because yeah. we, we, we know, we know that. And the, What's interesting, too, is when she walks into S.W.O.R.D., the television screens have on the news reports about families reunited, and it's showing, like, um, positive, Mm -hmm. joyful side of the blip being undone. But we also know in reality that it wouldn't just be all happiness, that there would be a lot of um, stuff that people were still working through. You know, Mm -hmm. imagining living through half of the universe being destroyed and then imagine living through half, like, who you thought was destroyed coming back. You know, it, mm-hmm. it, it's incredibly traumatic. So, and also, I mean, people coming back from, you know, someone like Monica, she comes back from five, you know, five years of her life are gone and her mother's dead. I'm sure that that was, you know, a lot of people came back to not their lives. You know, I mean, your spouse has, you know, possibly gone and married someone else and had other kids. You know, it's like, you're, I'm sure what most people came back to was not their lives as they left them. I was curious about the character. I know you keep calling her Kitty from that 70s show. (laughs) Um, I was curious about her because I think it's intentional that we see her sitting alone Mm -hmm. uh, when Wanda drives into Westview. But then we do know that the Mr. Hart character is also her husband in real life. At least that's what it suggests in episode four Mm -hmm. when they say that their real life names, Sharon and something Davis, I believe. And then... Fietro mentions how Wanda, you know, kept couples together and things like that. So I almost mm. wonder, like, we see her alone, but we know she's part of this couple. And I almost wondered if, like, me, you know, maybe it wasn't as a good relationship, maybe because one of them had been blipped and came back right. or, or there was some distance there or something like that. But other themes that we've been talking about throughout throughout the series so far include the idea of of control and loss of control and i think it's interesting that both agatha and wanda's relationship to power and to magic is also related to this idea of control and this question of like them using magic that they're not necessarily in control of yeah i i thought um i noted that um you know like this concept of having like such overwhelming or powerful emotions that you know, lead you to have some like immense power that you can't control is a common one. And I just think it's really interesting. I mean, you know, even within the MCU, it's not far off from Bruce Banner mm-hmm. and the Hulk, you know, he gets angry and he turns into the Hulk and he can't control it. Yeah. Um, also reminds me of Elsa. 
who, if she's scared or she's confused, you know, she loses control of her powers, especially early on. So I just, you know, I, I always love that connection between like strong emotion and great power. Yeah. Yeah. Well said. I, I should have known that you were going to make a connection to Frozen at some point. <laughs> I told you, I, I told you I was going to get all of my, uh, my standards in there. All of your classics in there. But, but yeah, that's a really astute observation. And the other, the other motif that I've been on all season is the, all the world's a stage quote. And, you know, again, we see actually like the studio set in this in this Mm. episode and we get just a few fun lines from agnes like agnes may not have been the originator of the this thing is a tv sitcom but she is leaning into it hard she says Mm. after you superstar which i enjoyed if i ever get visited by a ghost of christmas past i would want them to refer to me that way of course you would i would also want them to be serving some great eye rolls you know talking about my (laughs) brother being too loud you know looking at me like i'm crazy when i say that we just wanted to change the world like uh, her facial expressions are just so good i would just want it to be Catherine Hahn. <laughs> yes, agreed. <laughs> um she also says that's your cue, you're on. You know, she leans into mm-hmm. it and I I just really enjoy that. We have in our discussion of these more thematic things, we have really done a lot of character discussion, but I did want to give the the space for some additional character observations or some standout moments related to Wanda, Vision, Agnes, or or any of the mm. other characters here? You know, just like little moments. So like with Wanda, I loved when she goes into S.W.O.R.D. and doesn't let them buzz her in. She just blasts the doors open. Um, that was such a good character moment. Obviously, we get the, the Scarlet Witch, you know, kind of proclamation, which is fun because we had that, I think we we actually probably talked about this, that they kind of hinted at that in episode four, Yeah, you know, when um, Jimmy is giving that background and Hayward's like, no nickname, no funny moniker. Right. Like, oh, nothing, nothing. I feel like we kind of could sense that coming. So it was fun to get that. Um, you know, Vision is really interesting. It's barely in this episode. Yeah. You know, he's got two scenes and one of them is him being born. I guess he has three, and one of them is lying dismembered on a number of oh, tables. Awful. The other vision yeah, scene, though, is is the crucial. I mean, the commentary on grief and the pajamas. I mean, yes. oh, crucial, yeah, crucial. It's a very important scene. Yes. Um, and you know, we we do get that trying to be human aspect of his character, yeah. which it was kind of missing from the vision that Wanda created. Exactly. You know, it's like she created him knowing how to be a person. Yes. Um, which is interesting that, you know, that that's what she like, quote unquote, wanted. And then, um, you know, we obviously get a, a, a good amount of more information on Agatha here, you know, seeing her her backstory. She's still, you know, we get a, I feel like the more information we get about Agatha, the more questions I have about Agatha. You know, when she's when she's on the stake pleading with her coven, it's almost it's hard to tell if she's lying or not. Yes, I wanted to hear your take on that, actually. Yeah, when she says, if only you would teach me, help me, please. I truly, I I couldn't clock it. I mean, part of me feels like she she was sincere, that that she she did have access to this magic that she couldn't control. And not that she didn't want it, Mm -hmm. but that 
you know, she, I don't know if she was trying to be evil her whole life, but I think your mother killing you will, or your mother trying to kill you might send you down that path. So I I just thought that was really interesting. Yeah. And also the comment her mom says to her, you know, she says, I can be good. Mm -hmm. And her mom saying, no, you cannot. I mean, that's talk about a self-fulfilling prophecy. Talk about needing a therapist. Right. Uh, Right. And I, I too, I was very curious to hear what you had to say, because I, I too am not sure about how much, obviously she was very young and impressionable at that, at that time. Obviously she didn't seem too upset at the loss of her mother. But then again, as you mentioned, her mother tried to kill her. She does take the brooch, which is her connection to her mother, or maybe it's more about the status symbol of it. I don't know. It or was Or like a uh, trophy. Yeah, you know? yes. It's very hard to tell. It's um, so hard to tell and she's still wearing it right. know, in her basement in present day. What did you think of when the scene we talked about before with Wanda and Vision in the Avengers compound? She's like wiping a tear. Did you think that was sincere? Yeah. I did not think that was sincere. I but couldn't I, tell. I but I I also I couldn't tell, but I, you know, it seems she was a little hammy about it. As she is. You know. You know <laughs> uh, yeah, as she is. She's so extra. So, yeah, I just, she's so, I, I feel like I really can't, we really can't pin her down yet. Yeah, I'm with you. One of the scenes that we haven't talked about in as much detail is the scene toward the end. The end of the memories, I, I should say, in which Wanda does go into this ward compound. As you said, she's being a total badass. It's awesome. Um, we see that Hayward has been lying, as you mentioned before, that she was just there to see visions, to see vision again, uh, to obtain his body for the purposes of, of having a funeral for him, that it wasn't her intention to steal his body in the way that we've been made to believe, and nor did she. And I didn't think that she did, to be honest. Mm-hmm. Um, I never really thought that we could take that at face value, what Hayward was saying in episode four or five, whenever that was. But an incredibly heartbreaking moment to hear her say that, um, that she was his next of kin, to see his body in pieces being pulled apart. It was so gruesome, even though it, it mm-hmm. is metal, it's parts, but it's also vision. It's also the character that we know and love. So it was very, very hard to see that. This was the other scene that you know got me very emotional. And then, of course, when she touches him and says, I can't feel you, which is is the callback to the two of them saying, I just feel you in, in mm-hmm. Infinity War. So extremely sad and powerful. And to see that she just walks away defeated as opposed to this image of this angry, you know, person who mm-hmm. couldn't deal and so stole his body. How much more heartbreaking to see her just walk away defeated. Yeah, definitely. Another thing about Hayward, um, you know, in addition to him just being like a monster in that scene, yeah, um, you know, when he tells her like, "Best I can do for you is you can say goodbye to him here." It's like, you know, best you could do would be to just like give her a little bit. Well, you know, even if your arguments were valid, like give her a little bit. I guess you're right. So, like, even if her if his argument was about the right. value of the vibranium or the fear of him being a weapon, yes, right. you're right. You can give her a piece. Anyway, so something I always notice about Hayward is that he always refers to Vision as the Vision. Yeah. 
um, which makes it really clear that he doesn't see Vision as any sort of person, but just as a weapon. Yeah, I think that's really a good, um, I think that's a really interesting observation as well, because I think in the comics, the character is originally called the Vision, but in the MCU, he's only in, called the Vision for like in the moment he's born is the only time that like pretty much yeah like yeah. there's like a a couple times in Age of Ultron that they call him the Vision, but yeah. for the most part, otherwise they treat him like a person. Right. If you compare Hayward's yeah. use of language here to Steve Rogers in Age of Ultron, like who immediately changes his pronoun usage from like it to he or you mm-hmm. or whatever Steve Rogers like um, refers to him by. Uh, that yeah Hayward is clearly a selfish and as we've seen in the MCU times a few times before you know a person in power who is not using that power um, responsibly or with you know sympathy or empathy toward toward other people although he plays at it in this scene you know he plays that he has some sympathy for Wanda it's makes me kind of hate him more to be honest yeah you know, like if you're gonna just be straight up evil, just be straight up evil. Yeah, but, you know that's better. Don't pretend. Yeah. Don't pretend you're not evil. Yeah, it's also interesting that she, he, you know, she says like, "I just want to bury him," and he's like, "Are you sure?" Not everyone has your kind of power, and and she again, this idea of how much she even understands or knows about her own power, she keeps right. saying, "I can't do that. Um, that's not yeah, why I'm here." Yeah, and it's clear that what they're they're dismantling Vision only because Wanda is back. Yeah, what? okay, that I you wasn't know, sure he's been about sitting that. Around, he's been sitting around there for five years. If they thought it was important to dismantle him, they would have done it. Five oh, that's years ago. a good point because he, yeah, his body wasn't blipped, right? Right. He, so he's, I mean, it's I think it's from what from that fact and what Hayward says, I think we can that's pretty much assume that it's. You know, he's mostly worried about Wanda coming and resurrecting him. That's really interesting. I, yeah, because I, I was thinking that he was that he like he his end game was to use Vision as a sentient weapon. But mm. you're right; he hasn't been working on that project for five years. Doesn't seem so anyway. Like, it looks like they just started. Right. Him. Yeah, that's interesting. That's very interesting. One more detail. Well, two more details that I I wanted to bring up as a callback to episode one. The fact that when she does see this unfold, she says, stop it, which was the line that mm. Mrs. Hart or Kitty, as you keep calling her, says in episode one. And again, like there's like, these few little things that it just seems like um, these things were recent memories for Wanda. So they got incorporated into this new world. Maybe that mm. phrase, um, the phrase Big Red, which comes up in episode one or two, is on the movie theater marquee, along with mm. Kidnapped, which is kind of interesting but and then the other thing is the detail of on the property deed the heart and of course Mm -hmm. we saw the heart on the calendar in episode one and Mm -hmm. the heart in the in the credits in episode seven and now we kind of know where that was in her subconscious yeah i also wondered about is that the original property deed because i don't think you should draw on that (laughs) (laughs) that was my main thought about that (laughs) i'm also like i don't know like i don't I don't have like a copy of my property deed. I don't know like who if you actually get those in real life. That's a that's a good question. <laughs> not not the questions I was asking, but fair. <laughs> I was my thinking, first thought was like, I don't know if you can draw on that. It looks like an original. It's true. I was thinking more about how cute like little vision in his pajamas drawing a little heart. <laughs> yeah, that, yeah, that was cute. So 
I don't know if I would call these predictions, but kind of my hopes for the finale. I'd love to see, you know, like a Monica and Fiatro showdown. Yeah. <laughs> kind of, you know, give us the end of what we saw at the end of and the, the credit sequence in the last season. Especially now that, you know, we're seeing Monica. We saw very briefly Monica basically developed Captain Marvel powers. Right. Going through the hex, but we haven't really gotten to see them play out yet. And I think that that's really exciting, especially because of how that can tie into so many other things. I'd love to see a Dottie reappearance in the finale. I know. Me too. <laughs> Where has she been? You sold me on one of your sales pitches for me for the show was that Emma Caulfield was in it. And I did not realize that would be one episode. So she better come back. I didn't realize um, either. And then they tease us with these like little moments of like we get these tiny glimpses of her. Like She was like gardening. Yeah. You know, like she's still there. Hello. You have Emma Caulfield anyway. on set to garden. Come on. Seriously. I'm with you. Anyway, um, I'd love to see, I'd love to see the way, like, you know, we end with Agatha with the two kids on leashes, basically flying in the sky. Mm-hmm. Um, and the episode before that, the last thing we see of Vision is him flying out of the truck to go home. And I'd love to see Vision be a part of the end of that altercation. Yeah. I'm kind of hoping that, um, you know, I'd love to see Double Vision at some point. <laughs> I really hope so. That's all my stuff to the finale. Yeah, it definitely feels like there's a lot to wrap up in one 50-minute episode. Mm-hmm. But I, I think that because of the way the MCU works, that some of the larger next steps for people like Monica, even maybe some of this um, intrigue around this Pietro, if if this is Pietro from alternate universe, whatever, I think that we're going to get just enough of that to kind of hint at something to come in the future mm. of the MCU. And I am just really, really um, nervous almost to see how things end up for Wanda. Like, how does this show end? Like, in what state is Wanda when this show ends? And in what state is Vision? And I, I mm. anticipate that they will absolutely not answer all our questions but i do anticipate the way that the show has been written so well that it will come full full circle that it will wrap up in a neat way even as it does kind of like open up these pathways into future um properties for sure um i have to say that you're always nervous so (laughs) um (laughs) some things make me nervous it's true Uh, a lot makes you nervous Perhaps. I'm surprised. I'm surprised my idea about the two vision and Wanda three sound. <laughs> it does make me nervous. That's why I didn't really respond to it. <laughs> <laughs> on that note, before we wrap up, any last thoughts on your mind? The miscellaneous thoughts corner. Okay. Miscellaneous thoughts. Loved when the Marvel Studios logo went from red to purple at the beginning. Yes. That was great. Um, extra shout out to Christoph Beck. Um, in this episode, especially like the scene right before that explosion, which is like, oh, it really like helped feed like the anticipation, like we knew it was coming. Totally. And, you know, side note, I love, um, and this is not necessarily specific to this episode of the show, but just like one of the story. It's so like great commentary on like how people become radicalized, mm-hmm. you know, especially in, in like, you know, places that are used for American theaters of war. Yes. Um, so I just think that that was. That was great. Agnes uh, or Agatha actually comments on it. Parents are murdered and you join an anti-freedom 
something something terrorist organization terrorist organization yeah, yeah. and so. then she gives her such a great Catherine Hahn look when she says we wanted to change the world but as you said it's it's a very interesting commentary on people in other parts of the world especially young people who've been through these traumas and and then view who you know we are have framed as the good guys the avengers um as being responsible for that mm. trauma it's it, it is very interesting you know what's interesting is that we wanda in these flashbacks we don't see her become unblipped you know yes. like laying in the wakandan jungle and we still don't know like what you know that was like for her so i, I think that's interesting that you know it's i really thought like we were to gonna see. get that yeah i, I yeah. definitely thought we were gonna get that as part of this you know yeah. trip down memory lane i'm i'm intrigued as to why we didn't uh this note i have here just says so funny to see Wanda drive a car. Why don't you just fly? <laughs> I was wondering about when she learned to drive, particularly in the United States. But right. it's I, so funny to see her drive. I don't. I don't think it would have been appropriate if she if she flew at that moment, though, because of just how powerful it was. That like when she walked out of the compound of the when she walked out of the uh, sword headquarters, the fact that she's walking away defeated is, is so human, yeah. you know, it's so That's human true. that she's not using her powers and she's not yeah. fighting. So I loved the humanity in it and of her driving around and looking at, you know, the life that she could have had in the suburbs of yeah. New Jersey. So I, I, um, I liked that though. I did, I did have the same thought for a minute. <laughs> <laughs> it just like, was weird. Yeah. Um, I also thought it was interesting. So in the scene, we see Wanda creating the hex um, when she's doing that impressive double, the back, not double, the impressive back bend. Yes. Um, there's the, re you can see in the reflection of the TV behind her, similar to the um, thing at Hydra, you know, she, her creating vision is reflected on the TV. Yeah. Which was, which was very nice. It's also interesting. I think that Wanda herself was the last thing to change into that reality yeah um yeah you know, we just see the I shoe think, come into the frame yeah exactly like she was still in her like 2000s garb when vision first speaks to her and then we see the shoe yeah. um so i thought that was great and then the last thing i have here is that wanda was born in 1989 they say this in episode four. Oh, i know where this is going <laughs> with continuity error yes. um and she was 10 when her parents died, which means that it would be either 1999 or 2000, depending on like when her birthday was. Mm -hmm. Now, Malcolm in the Middle premiered in January of 2000. So there was no way that the DVD would have been released by the time her parents died. And it was, in fact, present in her dad's briefcase. Yes, I also had this thought and I worked through it, too. And I was like, OK, I was like, well, if it, she still could have been 10 in 2000, um, but the DVD wouldn't be out. But the yeah, that was my thought that the DVD wouldn't be out, and I uh, meant to look up when the DVD for season one of Malcolm in the Middle was released, <laughs> but I didn't look it up. But <laughs> I, I did. I, I thought that and I was like, that's going to be too hard to find. But I can't yeah. imagine that it was in the year two thousand. No, me neither. There's no way. Yeah, it's a minor minor error, but um, but I did have that thought too. That's it. Well, on that note. Thank you so much for joining me again today. I always love hearing your insights into this world of the MCU, and I especially was excited to talk to you for the podcast about WandaVision. Thank you again. 
yeah, thank, thanks for having me. It's a great time. If you enjoyed this conversation about episode eight of WandaVision, you can follow the podcast at anidea underscore podcast on Instagram and Twitter. Artwork was designed by Brooke Pender, who you can who you can follow at B Pender Illustrations on Instagram. Music by Demeter Salvia, who you can find on Bandcamp. Thank you for listening, and be sure to tune in next Thursday to hear me and my guest of the week tackle the big ideas of the finale of WandaVision. <laughs>